guys, and welcome in to WFNZ's March Madness show. I'm your host, Josh Marlowe. You know me as Fitty, and alongside me is my good friend, my best friend, Anthony Pagnata, but you also know him as Flounder. I've been told we cannot use the nicknames today. Is that true? Uh, You're I, the one running the show, so you got to know the answers here. I would say no, because you and okay. I never call each other by our nicknames anyway. W- do we call each other by our by name? Uh, not really. Not, no. no, not really. We got the short nicknames for each other. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, – we're, we're in our professional mode here today. I know NC State fans and Duke fans are extremely concerned <laughs> about our opinions on this show, but trust me. We are bringing the unbiased look, and frankly, we have no choice because our team is not here. Yeah, that's 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 very much true. We're here to take you through last night's selection show as we got the bracket for the 2023 NCAA tournament. We're going to go region by region. We're going to give you our Final Four predictions and so much more, but something that uh, Flounder was just hinting at right there. We're going to talk about yeah is is the is the controversy that always happens after you get the bracket of the teams that made the field, the teams that didn't make the field, and then the seeding process that came out of this year's tournament. And I've got to tell you, as someone that has watched this sport religiously for 15 years, it's my favorite sport. This is why I do the job that I do is because of my love for college basketball. Dear God, okay. Yep. The the seeding we've seen done by the committee in the last half decade has been awful. Yeah, it's 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 definitely been trending in the wrong direction. This this year is about as bad as I've ever seen it. I, yeah. I don't. I, I mean, I I cannot remember a time where a conference champion finishes. Seed wise, below a team that they beat for the conference championship the night before they 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 ended up uh, picking the field, and it's it's two teams that are close together. Yeah, like Duke and Virginia were really close together in terms of overall record, resume. To be honest, with a resume, you'd probably lean Duke out of the two of them, and yet somehow Duke is behind Virginia. How does that make any sense? It doesn't. Um, you, you know, and I, I follow some people on Twitter that that cover the, the bracket selection stuff pretty closely. The thing about Duke being seated behind Virginia, that didn't change because of results on Sunday. The field was pretty much set late Saturday night. You just had to figure out, like, had, had Penn State won their conference tournament, what happens with them as an AQ, and all that type of stuff. So it had nothing to do with the Big Ten final, the A-10 final, the AAC final. Duke, no matter what, was going to be a five seed. And they should have been a three. I mean, you look at what they've done since the start of February and the wins that they, they've racked up. They should have been a three. I thought Missouri being a seven was criminal. Yeah, that's um, a bad one, man. That's a team that I, I've watched uh, quite frequently this year. I have a great 
uh, love affair with their head coach, Dennis Gates, because he wears the same suit and tie oh. in every game. And, of course, oh, this the, is one of your things, man. And, you know, guys that listen to the station and know Willie P, he's a Mizzou grad. So I would watch him just to have something to, to talk with uh, Eugene about. They're also they're also explosive offensively. Yeah, they're really they fun are team really to watch. Fun. Oh, yes. My, my biggest discrepancy with the, with the seeding, though, isn't where Duke came in or Missouri. The number one seeds, I think, like Kansas, in my opinion, had earned the right to be the number one overall seed. You play in 24 quad one games, and you've got, I think they ended up with 16, 15, 16 wins in quad one. I don't care if you did win your conference tournament or not. That right there would have been enough for me for them to be the number one overall seed. They come in the number three overall number one seed behind... Bama, who's the number one overall seed, which you can make a legitimate case for. Yes. But Houston jumping them didn't – and look, after what happened yesterday. Now, granted, it's not even that. they didn't have Marcus Sasser, but do we know how healthy Marcus Sasser is? It's too? not even that. They're, they don't have they don't have the schedule that Kansas has. No. Oh, God, no. So, not even close. I, I, and I have no problem with Houston being a one. No problem whatsoever. I, I got to be honest. have been there ahead of Kansas. I got to be honest. I'm shocked they are a one. I really thought there was a good chance that Texas could be. Or even a Arizona one. after they went yeah, through or, and, and um, won yeah, the Pac-12 you, you can make the argument for them. But, yeah, for them to be the second one seed, that, that to me made no sense. Like, yeah, they have three losses on the season, but they, they all – three of those losses came in the American Conference. Yeah. And I'm not saying the American Conference is a poor conference, but it's definitely nowhere near what Kansas faced in the Big 12. Me, personally, I think that Alabama being the number one overall seed, I don't have an issue with that. The thing is, though, that should not have mattered because Alabama was going to the South regardless. That was going to happen. Because Kansas would have taken the Midwest, the Midwest number one, Alabama would have been in the South, Houston would have probably gone out west, and you would have had Purdue in the East. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, my thing is, I don't really feel too heartbroken for Kansas because they. How many times have they been in Kansas City before? I mean, hell, they were just there for the big for the Big Twelve championship, and it didn't really pay dividends for them so the 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 thing about i don't know i don't feel sorry for them that's all i'm saying the thing about them being in the west is this feels like one of the times the committee does something on purpose to 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 try to silence the people that you know that that that, that there's there's regional bias or recency bias that because they knew that if they had to put them in the midwest and they'd be playing in kansas city in the second week of the tournament they were to get there there would be backlash so it was like they just came together and said well, let's just send them out west. Yes, yeah, so I have a question. Since when does the NCAA care about backlash? They haven't really cared much in the past, but all of a sudden they're going to do that now? I, and I think, look, I think you could be right on that. It's just that one, that, that one drives me insane because clearly everybody that has eyes could tell you right now Kansas is a better team, I think, than Houston. Yes, so, I mean, look, in the end, we could be proven wrong. It's about the draw that you get as well. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think 
I think they got a raw deal on that one. You know, the best way to avoid that type of stuff is to do what you did during the bubble, which is just put the tournament in one singular location. No, I don't want that. I love that you make this a a, a worldwide event because it does make it a lot more fun and a lot more interesting. Let's look at the teams that made that made the field. Mm-hmm. So here close to home, NC State, solidly in the field as an 11 seed. And then you've got Utah State. They're solidly in the field. And then you've got teams that are going to be in Dayton, Mississippi State, Nevada, Pittsburgh, and Arizona State. Um, I, I think, you know, when you look at the, the, the one team that's solidly in the field that I don't have a problem with. I don't have a problem with State being in the tournament. They were a tournament type of team. But I thought they should have been in Dayton. Like 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 if if they would have been in Dayton and Pittsburgh would have been where where State was as a solid 11 seed. Yep. No complaints. I do think the thing that that helped State get that where they got into the field was the win over Duke. But that win over Duke was in January. No bad losses also helped State a lot as compared to some of the other teams on the bubble. You know, then then Utah State, um, look, I, the Mountain West isn't a bad basketball conference. They've done a really good job building that conference up. But for for that conference to have four teams in the field and then three solidly in the field, I think was a little bananas. And, like, for me, if, if Utah State would have made the field, but they switched places with Arizona State, a team that – beat Arizona in Arizona's own gym, their only home loss under Tommy Lloyd in his two years as their their head coach, probably there wouldn't be as much questioning, frustration, whatever you want to call it, about that. But then the biggest issue are the teams that are in Dayton, primarily Mississippi State and Nevada. Being in Dayton over, you know, if you want to go close to home, Clemson being left out of the field with four quad one losses. Yep. You know, Carolina not having a great resume, but no bad losses. Something North, that Nevada, North Carolina, even though we shouldn't have to clarify. There's that. only one Carolina. South Carolina is nowhere near this field. Um, you know, even though UNC no quad three, quad four losses, Nevada had two of them. Um, and then you had Oklahoma State, uh, a team that Joe Lenardi kept in the field as long as he had to, until they just got boat raced in the Big Twelve tournament. And then Rutgers, and Rutgers was the team that through January. They were a tournament team since the start of February, the 205th ranked team in the country, according to metrics. So, I, I, you know, of the teams that got left out, I think Clemson was the one with the best case. But, again, it comes back to the seeding thing. It's not really that we're upset about State, Utah State, these teams making the field. It's where they got put in the field that has us all scratching our heads. Yeah, well, look, I think I think Clemson – fans have a very legitimate case. I think Brad Brownell and his players should also be incredibly irritated because you beat the brakes off of a team that is solidly in the field three times. And people can argue that head-to-head doesn't really matter because you're being compared to a group of teams, but it still should. They had the quad one wins far more than NC State had. Yep. And I mean they I mean you could debate when you looked at that team were they better than Pittsburgh? I think they were probably a little bit better than them even. My thing with them is if you watch them play and then you turn around and watch Nevada who lost three straight at the end of their season by the way. 
including a bad loss to Wyoming and a loss in the first round of their conference tournament to a not terrible, but certainly not great San Jose State team. And they're definitely better, in my opinion, than Mississippi State. I saw Mississippi State play multiple times, and Mississippi State is not, I I don't think they are a legitimate tournament team. Um, I thought there was a team in the SEC in Vanderbilt that should have been put in ahead of them. And yet here we sit, that team's in the NCAA tournament field, I think Pittsburgh should be able to blow right by them, no problem. And I honestly think the same thing with Arizona State. I think Arizona State will blow out Nevada mm-hmm. because I think Arizona State should have been solidly in the field. I thought Arizona State should have been in over Utah State, to be honest. So, yeah, I, I mean, this is where people are starting to get frustrated with the net rankings with all the other metrics that they want to consider here. And there's sometimes where you just have to ask yourself, do these people actually watch the games? How many of these games do they actually watch? Because you should be watching all of these games in some capacity. I'm not saying that we watch every single game. I watch a lot of them. We get pretty close. We have multiple screens that we watch. The last few weekends, we've been hanging out with each other with multiple screens sitting in there and watching in preparation for this show. And this is a this is a a show a a, a podcasted show on a ra- local radio station in Charlotte, North Carolina. We're not picking the tournament field, and yet sometimes you ask yourself, are we more qualified to pick the tournament field? than the people that do. Yes. Because they're so focused on the metrics that it's it's just become an extremely flawed way to pick the field, and it really leaves you questioning a lot of the things that this committee does. And I hate that we're at that point because I thought the tournament for the longest time, I, I, I thought that was about as pure as sports got. They made a lot of right decisions. There were always the teams that you could debate back and forth. But it feels like in recent years, the amount of debates that we're having over seed lines, over teams in the tournament, teams not in the tournament, it feels like it has hit its peak here recently. Well, the the reason why they're not going to complain about that is because look what it's got us doing. Look what it's got to talking heads on ESPN, CBS Sports, you know, Fox Sports, whatever it is. It has created drama, and that's the thing that I, I've really talked about with the net. The net is extremely flawed. Yes, um, they 100%. Need, they need to go back to RPI, BPI, all the metrics that they used to use to help determine who the best teams are to qualify to compete for an NCAA tournament championship. But the one thing that the net has done has created more talk around the sport. And as someone that that loves it, it's hard for me to get mad at that because I, I want to hear more college basketball talk on my sports talk on when I watch Sports Center or whatever. I just hate that it's coming at the expense of the way a committee is putting together a, a, a bracket using a metric that um has been proven since it's since since it started that it, it it's 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 not the right way to pick the the best thirty five at large teams to compete for a national title. Um, and, and that's that's just the facts. Like if you go back and you look at the data since they went to the, me- the to, to the net system, I believe it was 
believe it was 2018, 2019 was the first year of the net, or it was, it was right before then. You know, it's just been proven that there have been, you know, when you look at the net and then you look at RPI, BPI, and stuff like that, and you're talking a double-digit discrepancy total, we're talking plus, you know, 15 or 20 spots, uh, according to the, the old ways, that's how you know this this metric isn't working. If, if they were a lot more closer in line with one another, then I think I, it'd, be a lot of, it'd be a lot harder to sit up here and complain. But it's it's not. Every team, if you look at their net and then you look at the people that still calculate the old data, you're talking plus 10, plus 15. Like in the old model, North Carolina and Clemson are safely in the field. Now they're they're on the outside looking in, and teams that play in the Mountain West Conference that don't play the non-conference schedules that ACC schools play, let alone the conference schools play, they get, they get rewarded for playing a lesser schedule. Yep. So and and that's just that's just not the way that it's supposed to go. And look, I know for teams that play tough schedules and you don't win those games, you should still say, well, you got to win some of those games. But when you've got a team playing a top ten non-conference schedule and then a team playing a 250th ranked non-conference schedule, and that team's making the tournament as opposed to a team that's playing legitimate opponents, that's a really tough pill to swallow. And it's 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 the NCAA, it's, the, it's the NCAA's way of telling teams it benefits you to not to take November and December off, which for those of us that well, love, Well, like, yes, yeah, but what it is is you can take that time off, but you better not lose any of those games because yep. if you do, there is no way to recover. That's what they told Clemson last night. They told Clemson, hey, man, you guys lost some games early in the season. We don't care that you grew throughout the year. We don't care that you went 14-6 and six in what should be regarded as the SEC football equivalent in basketball, the ACC. And I just, I mean, I don't understand how you how you look at that team, the way that they played this season, and say to yourself, that's not a tournament team. That team's better than the team from last year that made the tournament. Like, how does that make any sense? That yeah. team should be in. But they're focused so much on the metrics, and it's just, it's so frustrating. But here's the thing. It's not it, the people on the committee don't want to do it anymore. The people that are experts. It doesn't seem like some of those guys actually watch that, although you could say that what those guys are doing is they're trying to project what the committee is doing. So if that's the case, then you need an overhaul of the committee. And I think that's a conversation that has to be had. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, But that conversation will be had at a different time uh, on a different day. Well, we're going to take a break. Whenever we come back here on WFNZ's March Madness show, we're going to dive into the bracket itself. We're going to start at the top left-hand corner. That is the south region where you find the number one overall seed in this year's tournament. That would be the Alabama Crimson Tide. That that breakdown's coming up next here on the WFNZ March Madness show after this break. Welcome back to the WFNZ March Madness Show here on the WFNZ podcast feed. Guys, make sure you check out all the other podcast feeds that we have going. The Mac and Bone Show podcast feed, Wesson Walker, as well as Kyle Bailey. They, of course, take you 
throughout the day normally on WFNZ. But we're going to be here during tournament time. Uh, and today, breaking down the tournament field, which was revealed last night. And we're diving straight into it right now. We go up to the South region. Uh, the regional semis and final will be held in Louisville, Kentucky. And the number one overall seed is the team atop that bracket. It is the Alabama Crimson Tide at 29-5 and overall, 16-2 and in the SEC, coached by, of course, head coach Nate Oates and one of the most polarizing teams in this NCAA tournament. There's no question that this is a team that has been dominant so far this season. Brandon Miller, you know, has really was a revelation for this team early on in the season. He was a guy that I think everybody really started gravitating towards in college basketball. And then he has the off-the-court issues tied into uh, the capital murder of a woman in Tuscaloosa by his teammate Darius Miles. Well, that situation now, the Crimson Tide look like they're trying to put it behind them. And so far, they've had some relative success. The two-seed in this part of the bracket, the Arizona Wildcats, 28-6 and so far this season, 14-6 uh, in the Pac-12, second season coached by Tommy Lloyd. Uh, they did take home the Pac-12 title the other night over UCLA. The three-seed team that I think a lot of people feel is pretty vulnerable in the Baylor Bears, 22-10 and 10 on the season. A team that, you know... Coached by Scott Drew, they've made runs uh, in the tournament before, including to a national title a couple of years ago. Uh, they're one of those teams that I think a lot of people, because of their history, will probably look at and think they have a chance to make a deep run. But we'll have to wait and see. And Virginia's the four seed in this part of the bracket. 25-7 and seven this season. Of course, went to the ACC tournament final after going 15-5 and five in conference. They did fall to the Duke Blue Devils, but as we mentioned earlier, still a seed line ahead of the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, they will take on Furman, which will be uh, one of the more interesting matchups in this part of the bracket. So, you know, you look at it, and there are a couple other teams that, of course, we'll talk about here uh, in this region, but who are the high seeds right now that you think are in the most danger in this part of the bracket? I think the answer is Virginia. Uh, the matchup with Furman will be a contrast in styles, but I, I, I often say that in the first day of the tournament, that always favors Virginia because it's really hard to to simulate the way that they want to play. And the the other issue with this Virginia team, as we saw in the ACC tournament final against Duke, is that when when their offense isn't there, it doesn't matter how good they defend because they defended really, really good the other night against Duke, and Duke controlled the game from the opening tip. Losing Ben Vanderplas is going to be a really big uh, loss for them, and they just don't shoot it well enough from the outside. So that's probably the first team that I identify. The second one is probably Baylor, just because they haven't been, I guess, as dominant as we expected them to be this year. Their backcourt trio of Adam Flagler, LJ Cryer, and Keontae George, if, if, if this team makes the Final Four, I'm not going to be sitting here surprised. They're that good. But we've also seen them get run off the floor by other teams in the field, like Iowa State, in back-to-back -back games, their regular season finale, and then when they showed up 
in the Big 12 tournament. So if I had to identify one, it'd be Virginia followed by Baylor. I think I think Bama and Arizona are gonna have they're, they're gonna they're gonna make a deep run in this field. Um, simply just because I think Bama's too good. Arizona's got too much size. That's why I have them both squaring off in the Elite Eight to to match up for a spot in the Final Four. Yeah, I mean, I I think the Virginia is obvious to me. I, I think you know Furman is, is going to give them a heck of a time because Furman, you talk about one of the best offensive teams in this entire tournament. I mean, they're eighth in the country in scoring. Yeah, their offensive rating is fourth. They're a so, fun team. Yeah, they they are going to put they are going to score and score a lot in this game. Will Virginia be able to keep up with them, or will they just be able to take them out of rhythm offensively? I, I don't know, man. I think they struggle to do that, honestly. I wonder how, how how much they put into that ACC tournament. I don't really want to say how exhausted they're going to be because I don't know if they're going to be to that point, especially with the pace that they like to play at. And, you know, for them, that, that game in the ACC tournament – that's what's scary about Duke. That game was played at Virginia's pace. They just didn't find a way to win that game. So that one will be really interesting. I think San Diego State, I feel like they're very vulnerable here. The one thing that concerns me a little bit is we always see these upset picks that a lot of people really like to jump on. And it feels like Charleston is that team this year. Yep, I've got them winning that game. I do too. I have them winning, and I have I have Furman winning. I have those two teams actually meeting each other um, in an old conference battle between those two sides. But I, I think, yeah, San Diego State, they're a team I feel like a lot of people, there's not a lot known about them. I mean, they're a really solid squad. I don't feel like they're a team that's built quite like some of their teams uh, that they had in the past, but... At 27-6, and six, I mean, look, they, they had some moments where they looked really dominant, but he, at a conference, you know, they had some losses that I think probably should have dropped them a couple of seed lines. I don't really understand how they're as high of a seed as they are either. I think they should probably, to be honest, I think in this part of the bracket, them and Missouri, you could flip those two, and I think that'd probably be, be, be satisfactory. Um, so I, I think... They're a team that could be in danger as well. And then, you know, the other team that I, I think when you go into some of the later stages, I know you you really like them. You just talked about Arizona. I think Missouri could give them some real fits in that round of 32 matchup. The thing about Missouri is they have to be on offensively. If they're not, they're not a team that can defend at a high enough level to be able to slow down Arizona. But I'm going to tell you, if they are in rhythm from that first game that they play over Utah State, which is another game that's going to be high scoring, they're going to have to put up points, I think they get by them. If they can continue that rhythm through that next game, I really believe there is a chance that they could pull that upset over Arizona and potentially set up what could be one of the best games of the entire tournament between them and Baylor watching those two offenses go head-to-head. The, the reason why I, I like Arizona the way that I do is they, they've, got, they've got legitimate size, and that size runs the court. And then you go back and you, you look at what they did in winning the Pac-12 tournament where they beat UCLA, 
they beat UCLA at their own game. The biggest the biggest problem that Arizona has had the first two years under Tommy Lloyd is winning games where they're not they're not running up and down the court. If you could put them in the half court, you could beat them. Well, that's kind of changed this year. They've been able to find ways to win games where they're only scoring in the mid sixties and, and winning. So they're just a lot more they're a lot more versatile. And and you know, you look at you look at that size they got, you know, with Balo and, and then Tubelis, and then you got Kirk Chrissa on the outside knocking down threes. Courtney Rainey's been around college basketball for a decade now. Mm-hmm. They've got just a nice blend of experience, then they've got talent, then they've got experience talent. I'm with you. I think Missouri gets by Utah State and advances to the second round, and I think it'll be a lot like what Arizona saw last year where they had a a tough game with a TCU team that's back in the tournament again this year. But I do think that size wins out, and that's why I have them advancing all the way to you know the Elite Eight. I'll, I'll save my pick for the Final Four later in the show. Um, you know, I look at you, you know you're talking about Charleston. I that team, if they're in the Sweet Sixteen, we're not going to be sitting here surprised. I, saw, I have them. I okay. so do I. I saw them up close and personal, the second game of the year against a UNC squad that was at the time ranked number one in the country, and they thoroughly outplayed Carolina for 25 to 30 minutes of that ball game. So they're not going to be phased by the moment that is the NCAA tournament. So overall, this is just a really this is a really interesting uh, bracket as a whole. I've also got NC State as an 11 seed advancing past Creighton. The matchup, I do not. The, the, the matchup of Ryan Kalkbrenner and DJ Burns is going to be absolutely fascinating. They're two bigs that play both on the perimeter, but they do so in just different styles. Kalkbrenner, is a tri- he's a guy that can step out and shoot the three ball. DJ Burns, he'll catch the ball on the three-point three line, and then they'll isolate him on that side of the floor, and he'll back you down and turn and shoot over you. So I, I think that's going to be a fun, fascinating matchup. I picked the Wolfpack because... That backcourt, I think, is more explosive than Creighton's. And guard play is what determines this thing every year. And so that's why I'm going to lean NC State. But, you know, for this to be the easiest bracket, quote-unquote, because it's number one overall seed, I, I, I see a lot of intriguing matchups that, that should make for a lot of fun both in the first weekend and, of course, when we get to the Sweet 16 and that Elite Eight. Yeah, I think the the thing that a lot of people are seeing is that both the four and the five seeds are pretty vulnerable here. Um, I don't think that the eight or nine seed is a threat here. Um, speaking of a team that is just unbelievably overseeded, West Virginia is the nine seed there. I think Maryland gets by them, but I don't think Bama will be in a lot of trouble in that one. Um, I went with Creighton in that in, in that matchup against NC State. You know, I like NC State's guards. I think this will be a pretty high-scoring affair. My thing with, with Creighton, they have five guys that are in double-figure scoring, and almost all of them average 12 points a game. I mean, two guys at 11.9 per game, but you have so many different guys. There's not a way to completely take Creighton out of the game offensively. You were talking earlier about uh, the size that Arizona has. Creighton's got some size on them as well, and that's where if they could end up getting past Baylor, they could present a little bit of a challenge for Arizona as well because you've got uh, Kalkbrenner in the middle. You've got uh, 
Arthur Kaluma, who is 6'7", and then Baylor Shireman, who's their three guy, who is 6'6". So that's the thing that I think will be interesting in this part of the bracket. You've got some teams that are built rather similarly, but I don't know if they'll get past Baylor. That matchup will be really interesting as well. I think, can we say this about this part of the bracket? A lot of really, really good offensive teams. The high-scoring games in these early rounds will come from this part of the bracket because you're talking about Bama, Furman, Creighton, Baylor, Missouri, and Arizona who can all score. Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely it's definitely going to be it's it's going to be a lot of fun. And, and and even though a lot of people have Bama just kind of, you know, almost cakewalking their way to the final four, there're going to be some matchups that that they will be presented with along the way assuming they advance. That should create some 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 great NCAA tournament basketball. Uh, so real quick here, best first round matchups that you see here. Give give me like one or two. Uh, I would probably go Creighton NC State. I'm I'm really just I, I want to watch those. I want to watch DJ Burns and Ryan Kalkbrenner just beat each other up. All about that Kalkbrenner in the post, and then maybe the second one. I think I'd probably go Missouri-Utah State because that game could just be the first one to 90 wins, and I love seeing that type of basketball. Yeah, I I, I like Missouri-Utah State as well, but I'll give you another one that's different from the ones you got here. I think San Diego State-Charleston will be a really good matchup. I think Charleston, you know, we both picked them in this one, but San Diego State's no slouch. That's not going to be one where Charleston uh, is able to walk past them relatively easily, and it'll be a very obvious one that everyone should have picked. I think they'll get a fight in that one, but I just I love Pat Kelsey, man. I think that dude can coach his tail off. He's done it both at Charleston and at Winthrop, and I think he gets the job done. Uh, by the way, my two uh, teams I have in the Elite Eight, Alabama and Baylor matching up there. I like Baylor's guards to prevail against uh, Arizona, Alabama against Charleston. I just there's, there's way too much there. I think that Cinderella run will run out on them. So that is a look at the uh, South Division uh, or South Region, I should say, of the 2023 NCAA Tournament Bracket. When we come back here on the WFNZ March Madness Show, we head down to the East Region. Who are the teams that will be matching up in Madison Square Garden with a chance to head to the Final Four. We'll tell you about that right after this break on the WFNZ March Madness Show. Hey guys, and welcome back here to WFNZ's March Madness Show. We are your hosts, Josh and Anthony. You, you know us better as... Fitty and Flounder. We're making our way through the 2023 NCAA tournament bracket. We've already broken down the top left corner, which is the south. We'll now go down to the bottom left, which is the east, where you'll find that east regional final being played at the Mecca of basketball. That is Madison Square Garden. You look at the, the only garden. Yep. You look at the top four seeds in the in this portion of the bracket, you've got the Big Ten regular season and tournament champs. That'll be the Purdue Boilermakers, who boasts the most dominant big man in the country. That is Zach Eady, the number two seed. The job that Shaka Smart is doing in Marquette it hasn't really hasn't really gotten the credit it deserves. But are you talking about a guy that took this this program to the tournament a year ago? 
Then this year, you know, they they win the Big East regular season for the first time ever, and then of course they win their first ever Big East conference tournament. The three seed, maybe the biggest surprise in all of college basketball, that is Kansas State. They've got a dynamic backcourt. They've also got just one of the best coaches in the country, and this is going to be a team that I think a lot of people, if, if, if they were to bow out early, they wouldn't be surprised. But I think if this team goes deep in the tournament, you also wouldn't be surprised. And then the four seed, that's the Tennessee Volunteers, a team that you know in mid-January maybe looked like the second or third best team in the country. Losing Sakai Ziegler has really hurt them. And even though they're the best defensive team in the country, I mean, they have a really hard time scoring the basketball. But the way that they defend, Rick Barnes is still a quality head coach. You know, they will be a tough out in what is going to be really just an interesting bracket from top to bottom. There's a lot of just brands in this bracket. You've got Duke as a five, Kentucky as a six. They're playing in Greensboro. You got Michigan State as a seven in this bracket. You look at just you look at the brands that exist in in, in this part of of the field. Th- this is as star studded a a bracket that we have seen maybe since 2017, where you had Carolina, Kentucky, and UCLA all in one side of the bracket, and all three teams would advance to the Sweet 16, and so. You know, I think this is going to make for just a lot of, 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 of interesting stuff because, you know, Purdue is a team that I have going very far in this whole thing altogether. But you look at their second-round matchup, whoever they get out of Memphis and FAU, those are two really quality teams. FAU can score it as good as any team in the country. Memphis, Penny Hardaway has really got that program believing, you know, with Marquette as a two-seed you know, if, assuming they would advance, we've seen a lot of two fifteen upsets here, here recently. I mean, you're talking about getting Tom Izzo in the second round potentially, or a USC team that that flew under the radar in the in the Pac-12. If the Pac-12 definitely, you know, if the Pac-12 had three or four more quality teams, USC would have been a lot more solidly in the field. So when you look at the top four seeds here in the East, which team do you see is on upset alert? the most, and maybe do you see multiple upsets coming in this side of the bracket? I do. I have two, actually, in the first day of the tournament. Um, First day? Or not the first day, but one plays on Thursday, one plays on Friday. I think the most obvious one that everybody's going to have, I think Louisiana gets past Tennessee. I just, losing Ziggler is, is a major blow for them. Montana State is a weird team. You know, they're they're pretty good defensively. They'll match up well. They're only allowing 66 points per game. But they have some guys that can score the ball. Raekwon Battle, uh, junior forward for them. Uh, he is averaging 17.4 a game. Uh, they have uh, Jabril Bello, who's a senior guard for them, out of, uh, out of London, averaging 13 a game. Uh, so there, there's, there's a few guys on that team that can score the ball pretty well. Um... Uh, no, why am I reading? Why am I reading Montana State? I messed that up right there. I don't know what you're doing. I gave away. I gave away my second upset. So let's focus on that one then. Uh, on the second day um, of the tournament on Friday, that Montana State team that I just talked about—that's um, a team that I think can beat Kansas State. Mm. I like Kansas State. I like some of the things that they've done this year. 
but it feels like that's a team that kind of peaked in the middle of the season. And there's a few teams like that. This bracket, I think, has a few teams that are like that. Um, and I think that's that's going to be a dangerous matchup for them. Um, I, I just I, I think Montana State, as I said, they they are a really good defensive team. I think they match up well. With Kansas State, they'll be able to slow them down. And as we've seen so far this year, Kansas State's like a lot of teams in the Big 12. If they go through a stretch where they can't score, it can get really ugly really quick. So I think that matchup for them is a tough one. And I also, I I needed one of those really low seeds to pull an upset. I thought I was going to try to find this year that 2-15 matchup where you could pick an upset. I think Marquette is a team that could be in danger of that. Vermont's a team that's been to the tournament many, many times. This is not new territory for them, but I think Marquette is just – they they can score the ball as well as anybody in the country. Um, and I don't have any of the other ones. I think everybody else survives that. So the 3-14 is the area where I think this upset comes, and this is the one I think – Kansas State is the most vulnerable three seed. The other one, as I mentioned, I got it mixed up. I clicked on the wrong team here. I had their tabs side by side. Louisiana, uh, they're a team that is, I think, really underrated in this tournament. They played in a Sunbelt conference that I think is a lot better than people realize. They had some really good teams at the top there for a mid-major conference. They score the ball at a pretty high rate. They have Jordan Brown, who averages 19.4 points per game and 8.7 rebounds as a big guy. He's going to be someone that I think will match up well inside against a Tennessee team that has had trouble kind of finding their guy in the middle. They've had moments where, uh, you know, Jonas Adu has looked really good. They have a couple other guys that rotate in off the bench, but they don't really have that solid guy down there. I think Jordan Brown could cause them problems. And then... They have, you know, Louisiana has a guy, Greg Williams at guard, averaging 13.1 per game, and Terrence Lewis at forward, who's averaging 11 points per game. So they have guys around them, uh, around Jordan Brown, that can score the ball as well. So I think, I think both of these teams will be on upset alert. I think Tennessee is the one you probably look at a little bit more just because of how much they struggle to score the ball against a team that is ranked inside of the top 40 in terms of points per game. That's a tough matchup for them. I don't like that at all. So I think Louisiana advances, but I also have Montana State pulling the upset. Yeah, no, I've I've actually got on my bracket, I've I've got all chalk here. Uh, oh. I, I I think can we? There's one that's popped up here. I mean, I mean, outside of USC taking down Michigan State, but to me, yeah, that's I, a mild one. Yeah, for, for from a seed perspective, that's an upset. From a team perspective, I think USC is better. I I've seen Michigan State enough. We're I mean, talking about a team that blew a 13 point lead in 90 seconds. That's that's who Michigan State is this year. Um, you know, what, I, what about? I've heard multiple people tell me this today. I don't see the Providence over Kentucky one at all. No, because I think Providence, you're talking about a team that was very Rutgers-esque through yep. through January. This team at one point was 14-3 and overall, was 6-0 and in the Big East. And now, you, I mean, Ed Cooley's got a lot to figure out. He's going to be heavily pursued for that Georgetown vacancy. And then the, his, his team has just backslidden really since the start of February. And I think Kentucky... 
for all their struggles that they've had, they've been inconsistent once again. I think this team's going to be motivated. Coming off of what happened last year in the tournament where they got upset by the 15-seed St. Peter's, um, even though this this game will be played right up the road from us in Greensboro, Big Blue Nation will travel, and they will have their fair share of supporters in the building for for that game. So, no, I don't see that matchup or, or that upset whatsoever. They're also healthy as well because the majority of the season they were banged up. It feels like that team is starting to hit a little bit of a stride. And to your point, I think there's less pressure on them. You, When I brought this up a couple weeks ago, you said, look, there's always pressure. I get that. But they don't have the pressure of being this extremely high seed. And if there are a lot of people that are starting to predict this as an upset, that could actually help the mindset of this team. I actually have them, because of my other upset that I have with Montana State winning, I have them in the second weekend. So do I. Oh, all yep. right. Yep. How about I, that? I, I, I have them. You don't it. believe in your man, Jerome Tang? I, I Look, I think the job that he's done, you could sell me on that being the best coaching job in the country this year. You could sell yeah. me on it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I don't see them losing the first matchup because the backcourt combo of Nowell and Keontae Johnson is, is going to be too much for uh, Montana State to match up with. But they don't have the size to match up with Oscar Sweebway. In, in, in the second round. And mm-hmm. uh, as much as Jerome Tang has been on that, that that staff with Scott Drew, he knows how to get his team prepared for, you know, 48-hour turnarounds. It's different when you're the assistant and now you're the head guy. And I think John Calipari is motivated. I think this is a guy that is motivated to prove that he still has what it takes in this type of setting mm-hmm. to win. You're talking about a guy that, since they they entered the tournament undefeated in 2015, March has been as bad as, as about as disappointing as our dating lives. It hasn't gone very My well for us. So I, I think you're going to have a team that not as much pressure as a year ago, where they were a two seed. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people had them going to the Final Four. They find themselves on the six line, and I think they could they could be this year's Carolina, where if if, they, if it all comes together with the bigs that they've got, Kaysom Wallace, if he's healthy and playing at a high level, they're just a completely different team. So um, I, I, I've i got them in the Sweet 16. If they play further than that, I'm not going to be shocked. The one upset I wish I could I could pull and I, I was bold enough to make is Oral Roberts over Duke. Because this game, when you look at it from a, from a, from a stylistic standpoint, it, it, it really does eerie what happened when they got upset by Lehigh. Talking about a mid-major that has a guard that can fill it up. That that guard from Lehigh was C.J. McCollum. The guard from Oral Roberts is Max Amos, a guy that we all became familiar with when he led Oral Roberts to the Sweet 16 during the COVID tournament just two years ago. But this Duke team is as hot as any team in the country, and they defend too well. I think he's going to do a really good job. I don't think Duke is going to blow them out by any means necessary. But I do think the way that they've just worn people down on the defensive end the last month or so of the season is going to carry over. So you've got upsets. I don't, which means if you get, or at least not until the second round, because I do have Kentucky as a sixth seed in the second week. So there's your Cinderella. Yeah, you know, so I, I think what that's going to set up for you know, is kind of like with that South, some really, some really intriguing matchups in in the second weekend. 
Um, I, I I think the two best teams in this in this side of the in this bracket are Purdue and Duke. Um, and, and I and I yeah, I, and I think they're both going to meet in the Mar- Sweet Marquette's Six. Marquette's damn good, man. That yeah, offense. you just said that they could get upset though. I mean, they so could. Which one is it? Well, no, I think they're I think they're really good, but I think this is similar to Duke. I think one of Duke's toughest matchups, if not the toughest matchup, they will face because I actually have Purdue getting beaten the first weekend. I think that matchup with Memphis, Memphis is, you you talk about another team that is incredibly hot here at the end of the season. Penny Hardaway's guys, they are starting to click. They should have beat uh, the Houston at the end of the regular season. They came up just short on a buzzer beater, and they're, they're a team that went through, won that American Conference tournament, and did so rather easily, uh, blowouts in each of the last two rounds. So they're playing really good basketball as well. I think they take down Purdue uh, with some of their you know guard scoring. Uh, Duke, I, I mean, that, that's the thing for me. Like there, there are a lot of teams here, I guess, that you could potentially consider my Cinderella in this part of the bracket. I would probably label it Memphis because I don't think Duke can be considered a Cinderella in anybody's bracket considering most of the experts have them in the Final Four, if not in the title game. Um, but no, I, I think Marquette, it's one of those weird things. I think Texas is the same way. I think Texas has a really, really difficult matchup with Colgate, and if they can get through that, I'm not. They, they will have other tough tests along the way for sure. Uh, Marquette, I don't think it'll be as tough. But all I was saying with that is I'm, I'm trying to look for these areas where you could possibly see those upsets because I don't think Princeton will be able to give Arizona much, much of a tough time. UCLA and UNC Asheville, we talked about that last night. That's just a brutal, brutal matchup for UNC Asheville. That's not going to fit well with how they want to play. Vermont is just, they're so experienced. They've been here before. That's the only thing that I think helps them. But no, I think Marquette, the way they played offensively for the majority of this season, they are legitimately... I mean, they are a legitimate threat. I think they are probably, in my mind, they're the biggest threat to Duke in this, in this part of the bracket. Yeah, I mean, I've I've got them in the elite eight alongside alongside with Purdue. I got them and Duke um, yep. because you know I've I've I watched a lot of Big East basketball this year. Shaka Smart's the only guy in the world that can go from bald to wearing full blown hair. <laughs> And wearing a long sleeve shirt just, underneath the polo, odd, man, he just looks odd. Well, and then when you when you do the the long sleeve under the polo, it just makes you look like a complete shot. <laughs> just wear a long sleeve polo, but it, they make those. You know, it works for him. And that and that team, <sighs> the thing he's got there is that well, he never got at Texas. He's got buy in. He that he that that locker room hears him and responds to him. And when that happens and you can get the talent you can get at Marquette, same kind of thing at Texas. He got the talent at Texas. He just never had the buy-in. It's a really difficult style of basketball to play. It's it's a fun style of basketball to play. And they're gonna be a really tough out here in the Eastern Conf- or here in the East region of the tournament. So um yeah. You really quick before we get out of here for for this for this side of the bracket, best first round matchup you see here in the East Region. Ooh man, there are a lot of good ones. Um, I absolutely hate the committee for this one. 
I think if Florida Atlantic was matched up with anybody else, they would easily win. I think any other eight seed would struggle against them. That That's going to be a phenomenal matchup between those two teams, man. Uh, Dustin May has done a tremendous job there. Um, I mean, I think there's, there's a few good ones here because I think Duke-Oral Roberts will be a really good game. So do I. Because Oral Roberts scores, I mean, just at an alarming rate. I know they don't play in a great conference in the Summit League, but... Man, that that is a really good team. They're experienced. You've got guys that were still there from their last title run, um, and I also think, I, I I do I do think that Tennessee and Louisiana will be another good matchup, regardless of what the ultimate outcome in that one is. I think that the clash of styles will be really interesting to see between those two teams, um, because I the, the normally like the seven ten matchups would be in here. Michigan State and USC does absolutely nothing for me. Speak for yourself. I think Ugh. that's, that's going to be a fun game. Really excited to watch Ugh. that one. I, I, Is I lo- that sarcasm? No, I'm being dead oh, serious. Okay. Anytime I can watch Tom Izzo lose, it brings joy to my life. Okay. So that that's a look for us at the East Bracket. But stay with us here on WFNZ's March Madness Show. When we come back... We're going to dive into the top right corner of the bracket. That will be the Midwest. We'll break down the top four seeds, give our favorite matchups, and so much more. That's coming up next right here on the WFNZ March Madness Show, back after this break. Welcome back into the WFNZ March Madness Show. Guys, uh, really quickly, make sure that you guys are checking out the coverage of the NCAA tournament this week on uh, Westwood One, which can be heard right on our flagship Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ on both Wednesday and Thursday evening. Also, on Thursday afternoon, make sure you join Wes and Walker at the Carolina Alehouse from 12 to 3 p.m., at the Concord Mills location. They will be out there broadcasting live, and you can come out and watch all of the early action on the Thursday of the tournament as we kick it all off here with Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Well, let's dive back into the NCAA tournament bracket this year. We've already told you the Elite Eight teams that we have on the one side of the bracket. Let's flip over to the other side. And it is now time to break down the Midwest region. And it starts with the number two overall seed as I tried to make my co-host angry one more time here. The 31-3 and Houston Cougars, a team that finished 17-1 and in the American Conference. Uh, Kelvin Sampson is, of course, their head coach. They are a team that has been there and done it before, um, but they are hoping to get to their home city to play in the Final Four this year. Meanwhile, the two seed in this part of the bracket is the Texas Longhorns. The Big 12 champs went 28-8 overall this season, 12-6, and and navigated what is, I think, widely regarded and rightfully so as the toughest conference in college basketball this season. The Big 12 all while being coached by Rodney Terry for the majority of the season after the dismissal of Chris Beard. You go to the three seed in this bracket, that is the Xavier Musketeers. Out of the Big East, coached by Sean Miller, they went 25-9, and 15-5 and 
in conference, and they did go to the uh, to the Big East championship game, and uh, they were eh, handled in that game against Marquette, but still pretty impressive run for them. Uh, some really nice wins at a conference for them as well, and then you have the Indiana Hoosiers um, out out of the Big Ten conference. Uh, they had a 22 and 11 record this season, 12 and eight in the Big Ten, coached by an alum and a guy that's done a tremendous job so far this season in Mike Woodson. They boast one of the most entertaining players in the entire country this season, Trace Jackson Davis. Uh, so uh, this is very interesting portion of the bracket, and to me really presents some of the heaviest hitters in this NCAA tournament. We didn't even mention the Miami Hurricanes in this portion of the bracket, uh, as well as Iowa State, a team that early in the season looked like they could be a really tough out. Um, so a lot of really, really good teams here in this section. Yeah, no, this 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 region is going to be a lot of fun um, because I think the, the three and the four seeds, that being – Xavier and Indiana, those are two teams that can be upset pretty early in the tournament, but they could also go very deep, making the Elite Eight like I have Xavier or even maybe the Final Four like a lot of people do see with Indiana. And so, you know, I I look at it from the perspective of I do think Houston is the best, most complete team. Um, Of course, the, the health of Marcus Sasser I think is really going to determine just how far this team goes. Kelvin Sampson's done a fantastic job uh, bringing bringing life and energy back into that program. Um, you, you look at you look at Miami. If if Norchad O'Meara, if you could tell me today he's 100 percent healthy and he's going to play, I would have them going a lot further in this tournament. I, I would because their quartet of guards with Nigel Pack, you know, you got Isaiah Wong, Jordan Miller, and and, and those guys. They're, they're as tough a trio quartet to guard in all of college basketball. And then you look at Texas, the job that Rodney Terry's done with that program has been absolutely fantastic. I wonder, though, after just a, a draining Big 12 regular season and a Big 12 tournament, how do they get now up to go and, and, and make a deep run in the NCAA tournament? So, um, and then I've even got Pittsburgh. I've got them winning their play-in game, and then I've got them beating Iowa State mm. in that in that six eleven matchup. Um, so just a, a very intriguing, a, a very intriguing region that I think will produce some quality high-level basketball from multiple teams from multiple conferences. So for me, I don't really have any of the top seeds in that much trouble. Maybe you do. I don't. Outside of Iowa State. Yeah, I mean, and, and Iowa State was a poorly seeded team. I mean, yeah, nineteen and thirteen, nine and nine in in the Big Twelve. They they went almost how, two months without winning back to back games. And how were they a seed line higher than Texas A and M? That makes no sense to me. One of the things that's been talked about since they revealed the bracket was that. Texas A&M, they believe they may have been hurt by Buzz Williams' comments last year after the team didn't make the tournament field. Which, if that is true, then what we said earlier about there being an issue with the committee and it needing to be fixed, that that is just another huge example of why this tournament committee is incredibly flawed at this point. 
You know, the team, I th- I think, I guess because I, I, have, I have all four of the top four seeds making it to the second weekend, making it to the Sweet 16. As do I. I think when you look at those seeds, the teams that are probably in the most danger in the first weekend, I think Texas, because I think regardless of who comes out of that matchup with Texas A&M and Penn State, which is going to be a tremendous matchup, um, I think either one of those teams will probably give Texas a run for their money. And I do think that whichever team comes out of the matchup between Miami and Drake will also give Indiana some fits as well. I think Indiana's a really, really good team, but that it, th- those two teams are both incredibly tough teams. Um, as you mentioned, you know the guard play for Miami has been extraordinary so far this year. Nor Chad O'Meara, his health is pretty much what's going to determine what Miami does in this tournament. But don't sleep on Drake. They have had a really, really strong season in the Missouri Valley Conference. Um, they're you know a, a team that is unbelievable defensively. They are allowing 63.9 points per game. This is Virginia-like. Um, their thing is, is are they going to be able to score it at a high enough level? Tucker DeVries is a guy that averages 19 points per game. So that'll be an interesting matchup, uh, again, of, of kind of countering styles. A team that's really good defensively against a team in Miami that you're going to expect to come out and see them score some points if they're going to win that game. But I think whichever team comes out of that matchup, which I have Drake coming out of that matchup, I think the defense wins out in that game, especially with Omir banged up. Um, I think Indiana's going to get a tough test from them. Yeah. Uh, the, I think the team that I maybe is the most the most on upset alert, the one that um, – and maybe not the, the the first week, the first matchup, but moving forward is Xavier, mm. and simply because that team doesn't defend away from home. I mean, at, at home in the Centos Center, this was one of the best teams in college basketball. You get them out of out of their friendly confines. This was a team that uh, not only not only lost more often than not, they didn't defend more often than not. They left their energy at home. Um, but I, I think Sean Miller. In in this in, in these types of settings, coaching matters because you've got to get your kids prepared in in about thirty six hours to to be ready to to play once again. And, and even though I do have Pittsburgh winning their first four game and winning their first round game, and every year but one a first four team has made the second weekend, I do think that they will they will come up short against Xavier. But for the most part, I, I, I see a lot of chalk. I have Miami advancing just because the the, the impact of Jim Laranega on uh, getting his kids prepared. And then this was a team that last year played Kansas really, really tough the first 20-some-odd minutes of that, of, of that Elite Eight game. And so this team is going to be motivated, and they're probably going to feel disrespected winning the ACC regular season and finding themselves – as a five seed. So the best part about chalk is when you get chalk for the majority of your bracket, that usually means you get you get the best matchups. Yeah, I gotta tell you, I think I, I think this might be the th- this might produce the two best sweet sixteen matchups. I, I think there I mean, I think we'll when we get to the West, we're also gonna probably see some really good matchups as well, at least how I have it predicted. But 
Houston, Indiana, I think is going to be incredibly interesting. I, maybe I'm just a fool. I believe in Indiana. I really do, man. The only problem with them is they've been 5-5 and in their last 10. So they win one, lose one, win one, lose one. That's... They're, they have Final Four potential. If this team's in Houston, I'm not going to be sitting here overly surprised. If this team bows out in their first-round matchup or in the second in their second-round matchup, I'm also not going to be sitting there befuddled at what happened to them at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, the thing I like about them the most, another team that just has outstanding size. We've seen how active they are on the defensive end of the floor. We saw that firsthand when we watched them play North Carolina earlier this year. But I just – I. How how is Houston going to be able to slow down Trace Jackson Davis? Then you've got Jalen Hood Shafino, who sort of plays off of that. And you got guys that hit some of these big time shots like Miller Cop and Race Thompson. There's so many different guys I feel like that can hurt you. And they are one of the deeper teams in this tournament. I mean, they legitimately go nine deep. So is Houston going to have the depth to keep up with them, especially if Marcus Sasser isn't 100%. I I like Indiana to advance there. I like them to go to the Elite Eight. And then, to to me, and and you have this matchup as well, I think Xavier and Texas will be an outstanding matchup. Two teams that can score the ball incredibly well. I just think, man, Texas is... It feels like this is one of those years where Texas is built to finally make a run. I don't know. You know, there's going to be some people that will have eyes on them. I feel like this team sort of sort of screams the the Kimball Walker Connecticut team. Maybe not because Kim that that team had to come from, you know, the first round of the Big East tournament at that time. But I feel like this is one of those teams that could win their conference tournament and sort of build off of that into the NCAA tournament. There's just so many different guys that can hurt you on this team. Um, and I think they're a team that's going to be inspired to play for Rodney Terry because the thing about it is, is we're at this point in the season, and I still don't know if a lot of people could tell you point blank whether or not he is going to come back this year uh, or next year. But, I mean, Marcus Carr, Serge Abari Rice, and Tyrese Hunter, all big-time guards that can score the basketball I like them to prevail over Xavier, so I have Indiana and Texas as my Elite Eight here. Yeah, I've got Houston, Indiana, Xavier, Texas as well. I've got Houston prevailing just because of the way they defend. They're the second-best defensive team in the country right there with behind Tennessee, and I do think defense travels in the NCAA tournament. I've got Xavier and Texas, and I've got Xavier uh, just simply wow. because of their ability to score and at some point, I think this this roller coaster of emotions that Texas has been on since you know their head coach was was fired. At some point, it, it's 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 going to it's going to run out. I think, um, and even if it does in the Sweet Sixteen, Rodney Terry has done enough to to be that that school's full time yes. head coach moving forward. So uh, even though I've got all chalk, I've got a one seed. And a in a three seed in the Elite Eight with the spot in the Final Four on the line. All right, so uh, I feel like this one will be pretty tough. Best first round matchups from the Midwest region. I think there's one that's unbelievably obvious here. Texas Colgate will be a lot of fun because Colgate plays really high level offense. Yep. Give me, give me Drake 
and Miami as Ooh. the as the best first round matchup. So I, I got to tell you, I think this could produce the best overall first-round matchups. Iowa-Auburn could be a high-scoring affair if Wendell Green is on for Auburn. I like Iowa to prevail in that one. Miami-Drake, as you mentioned, don't sleep on Kent State. That's a really good basketball team out of the MAC conference. A lot of people talked about Toledo, but that team took down Toledo in that conference tournament. They're 28-6. Uh, so Indiana's got a tough test there. Um, to me, the, the most obvious one here – I think A and M Penn State is going to be an unbelievably if you like outstanding defense. game. Yes. Um, I think that A and M is going to slow it down, but Penn State Penn State's shown lately here that they can score the ball. So I think I I, I like Micah Shrewsbury's guys to prevail in that one over Buzz Williams. I, that'll be that'll be to me maybe the best first round game of any of them. Um, in the tournament, I think, and, and I'm with you. I think both games in that uh, in Des Moines uh, on that part of, in that part of the bracket are going to be just outstanding because I think Colgate. I loved them a year ago. They almost found a way to pull the upset against Wisconsin. I think they're going to give Texas a heck of a time as well. So that'll be really interesting uh, to watch. One more region to go. It is the West region. They go to Vegas. Who will be the teams that will be there in the Elite Eight? Find out right after this break on the WFNZ March Madness Show. Hey, guys, and welcome back to WFNZ's March Madness Show. I'm your host, Josh Fitty Marlowe. Joining me is Anthony Flounder, Pagnata. We have broken down three of the four regions in the NCAA tournament. And now we go to the bottom right-hand corner, which is the West region, the last region that we will break down before we give you our final four predictions and, and pick the national champion. You take a look at the top four C's. Number one, the defending national champion, that would be the Kansas Jayhawks, the team that I thought should have been the nation's or, or the tournament's number one overall seed. The number two seed is the is UCLA. They won their first Pac-12 regular season title in a decade. They also played for the Pac-12 championship despite losing their best defensive player and one of their, their, their key uh, members of their starting five. Number three, the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Not the type of year that Mark Few and that, and that program have grown accustomed to over the years, but this is still a team entering March. They're going to be very dangerous. And then number four, the UConn Huskies, the job that Dan Hurley's done in stores, restoring that program back to where it should be among, among the nation's elite uh, has been something that I've been really fond of watching as just a college basketball fan. And, you know, as we move quickly here looking at this bracket, this one I think has the, the, the chance for the most chaos. I, I think I think all absolute hell can break loose in this thing just because there's so much there's so much unknown. We 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 expect Bill Self to be on the sidelines for Kansas if he is. I think this team can go far once again if he isn't. I, I look the, the job their interim's done this year filling in while he was suspended and then of course missing the Big 12 tournament with health complications can't go understated. But they got blown out in that Big 12 final, and I don't think mm-hmm. that would have happened had Bill, had Bill Self been on the sidelines. The 8-9 matchup of Arkansas-Illinois, that to me could be the best matchup of the entire tournament because 
they're two teams that when they play at a high level, both teams can make the Final Four. They've got legitimate talent, but also when they don't play, that's why they are where they are. These are two teams that when they come in undisciplined and not focused, they lose games that quite simply they shouldn't have lost. St. Mary's VCU in that 5-12 will be very interesting and a lot of fun. Uh, you know the committee knew what they were doing when they had UConn and Iona. That way you had Rick Patino coaching against a Big East school as he's maybe on his way back to the Big East, whether that is St. John's or Georgetown. So when I look up and down this bracket, I see a lot of great basketball games that will be played, and it's, there's just a lot of chance for upsets up and down. And I think the team that I have emerging out of this bracket and making the Final Four, it's not one that's going to surprise you, but I, I do think it's one that maybe you wouldn't suggest would come out of this bracket with all the talent that does exist in, in this region. Wow. Um. Yeah. I mean, look, I have chalk in the Sweet 16. I don't. I've got three really? of the top four. Okay. But, I, I mean, I see what you're saying. Um. I mean, Arkansas, Illinois, really, really good matchup. Two teams that have underachieved so far this year. But you're right. They, they definitely have the talent. Two coaches that – were really highly regarded, were trending up, heading into the season. The thing for Arkansas, man, they've just been so banged up the entire season. Nick Smith had injury issues that he's been battling on and off throughout the year. Uh, Trevon Bra- uh, Brazil has had some injury problems that uh, have only allowed him to play in nine games. So they haven't been whole for the majority of the season. They won't enter the tournament whole. They will have Nick Smith, uh, but still no Brazil. So... Uh, this is going to be interesting to see you know, them going up against an Illinois team that added all those transfers in the offseason, Terrence Shannon, uh, as well as uh, Matthew Mayer. How do, how do these two teams match up? Um, which one of these teams can avoid you know, finishing off their disappointing seasons with a, uh, an exit early in the tournament in the first round? Uh, VCU St. Mary's is one that I think people will probably be keeping an eye on. I just don't think VCU is is quite the team that they've been in the past. I think St. Mary's, we've seen the way that they play. They want to slow things down. They're going to make this an ugly game. I just don't think VCU has the offensive firepower to be able to counteract that. So I like St. Mary's in that game, but that could be a really good matchup. As you mentioned, UConn-Iona, I think that'll be one that a lot of people will have their eye on. My thing with that is that I just don't think Iona is as powerful as they've been coming into some of these tournaments here uh, here recently. Still a, still a good team, but I think UConn is a team that a lot of people have to be weary of in this tournament. I think TCU-Arizona State, because that's who I have advancing there, I think that is going to be an outstanding matchup between those two. I think Arizona State is woefully underseeded. I think they should have been solidly in the tournament. I think Arizona State, I have them actually emerging from that matchup with TCU to advance to the second round. And then, I mean, you get down to that 7-10 matchup. Boise State, a sneaky good team. That was one of those teams from the Mountain West. You know, we talked about Nevada. We talked about Utah State. I think Boise State deserved to be in this tournament field. I think they, you know, will build off of what they did a year ago by making the NCAA tournament field against a Northwestern team that got out to a tremendous start to conference play, kind of like that Providence team that we were talking about earlier, really started conference play hot, 
but they have sort of faded as the season has gone along. For them, you just wonder if being back in the tournament again uh, is just an accomplishment. I think this time, you know, with Chris Collins being his second time there, he might be trying to push these guys a little bit harder to get them a tournament win. But I think Boise State will probably be just a little bit too much, so I have them advancing. But as I mentioned, uh, the second weekend, I think Kansas just too much for Illinois. Um, St. Mary's, I don't think that 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 pace of play will be able to hold up against UConn, uh, especially uh, Sonogo inside. And then uh, Gonzaga, I think they're flying under the radar uh, this season. I don't think a lot of people are talking about them heading into this tournament, so I think they'll advance. And even with the injuries that they've had, I still think UCLA is good enough. They showed it the other night in that Pac-12 championship game against Arizona where they had a chance to win that game, so I think they will advance to the Sweet 16. So I've got some chalk, but I think really, really good matchups along the way, like you were saying. I mean, I've got three of the top four. The one team I don't have is Gonzaga. I have them losing in the second round. To a TCU team that if they wind up in Houston, no one should be surprised. I The biggest concern I have with them is Eddie Lampkin not being there. He was a big force on the inside, and he entered the transfer portal today. He's been away from the team for a little bit. And they're another team, just like a lot of these teams in the Big 12, where if their offense goes cold, they don't have the horses on the defensive end to counteract some of the things. I think Gonzaga... They're a team that can score with them as well. That's why I like Gonzaga if those two teams were to match up. But like I said, I think Arizona State's that team that can build off of that win in Dayton, and I think they get past them. Yeah, I I, I definitely think it's going to be – I've got Arizona State winning their play-in game, beating Nevada as well because screw the Mountain West. Um, but but I – I could see any of those three teams in that little section right there. Like, no offense to Grand Canyon. I could see any of those three teams being in the second week. Yeah. um, The thing about TCU is this team went into Allen Fieldhouse and beat them by 20. You don't do that if you're not, if you're not, if you don't have Final Four potential. So um, I've I've got Kansas, Illinois. I think Kansas advances um, just because Brad Underwood just can't seem to advance, although this year wouldn't be a disappointment from a seed perspective. I've got UConn-St. Mary's, which would be a rock fight of a second-round <laughs> matchup. Uh, give me UConn, dude. Them being back among a relevant program, Sands, Jim Calhoun, really makes my heart all kinds of happy. I've got Northwestern getting past Boise State. I've got UCLA getting past UC, uh, uh, UCLA getting past UNC Asheville, um, advancing past Northwestern into the Sweet 16. My Elite Eight matchup, I actually have UConn upsetting Kansas. And then I have UCLA getting by TCU, so I've got a 4-2 matchup in the Elite Eight um, with, with, with UConn and UCLA fighting for a spot in the Final Four. And that's not that unpopular. I've seen a lot of people that have thought that. I just think, and, and a lot of this, I picked this bracket with the mindset that Bill Self will be on the sidelines for them. If he is... I feel like this Kansas team is probably built even better than they were a year ago. And that's what's scary to me. They don't score as well as they did last year. <sighs> yeah, I mean, Jalen Wilson is is their Ochai Abaji this year. I think that's, that's going to be a big thing for them is they're going to have to have a guy that can hit shots late, like against this Connecticut team. I I think it's going to be a tough matchup. This that's, This will be, if that matchup actually pans out, that might be the best game of the Sweet 16. Um, that would be just outstanding. 
Um, I think Kansas emerges from that one though. Um, and then Gonzaga and UCLA. I just I think the I, I think the injuries get to UCLA. And like I said, I think the pressure being off of Gonzaga a little bit here, not being a one or two seed that everybody uh, is really picking to make a deep run. I think that works out well for them. So I have them and Kansas matching up in Vegas for a chance to go to Houston in the Final Four. Well, that's a look at our West Bracket, guys. And when we come back here on the WFNZ March Madness Show, we will give you our predictions for the Final Four, the teams that make it all the way to Houston, and the teams that advance to play on the final Monday night and eventually cut down the nets. All that and more is coming up right here on the WFNZ March Madness Show. Welcome back, guys, to the WFNZ March Madness Show. Fiddy and Flounder, we're hanging out with you guys, breaking down the NCAA tournament. And now it's our time to give you our final four predictions Mm. and predict the teams that will advance to play for the national championship and then cut down the nets on Monday night. So in the South, I have Bama and Arizona playing for a spot in the final four. And I think I think I kind of gave my answer the way I the way I talk so glowingly about the Wildcats. I, I I love the job that Tommy Lloyd has done. I love that they've got size inside. They've got timely shooting on the perimeter. They, they, this is a team that has found other ways other ways to win. And Alabama's done a really good job not allowing the stuff off the court to really impact them. I don't think it's going to impact them in this tournament. But I do have Arizona advancing to the Final Four. When you look down in the east, I've got Purdue and Marquette. Purdue, the one seed. Marquette, the two seed in that bracket. Zach Eady has been the most dominant big man in the country since since Tyler Hansborough. And it's uh, as much as I've watched this sport this year, I've yet to find a team that can adequately guard him. Usually when, when, usually when Purdue loses because their outside shooting isn't there because they quit giving a guy that no team in the country can guard – the basketball, Matt Painter, the only thing he hasn't done at Purdue is made the Final Four. I think he breaks through, and I do think Purdue does make it to Houston. When you go up to the top right uh, portion of the bracket, we have, or I have Houston and Xavier. That's a 1-3 matchup, and I do think Houston does get back to the Final Four. Their second Final Four in three years this one being in their backyard. I think Kelvin Sampson knows that how much it would mean to that region of the country to have Houston playing on the biggest stage in college basketball. They're a good defensive team. Marcus Sasser's health is a lot better than we thought it was when we got hurt in the semis of the AAC tournament. So I do think the Cougars do get back to the Final Four. And then for me in the West, I have UConn and UCLA meeting for a spot in Houston. And I've got the con. I I I love their size. I love their depth. I do think at some point that's where the injuries and the the offensive inefficiencies at times for UCLA does catch up with them. So I've got the four seed, the UConn Huskies, going back to the Final Four for the first time since they last won the national championship in 2014. Yeah, I got Alabama and Baylor in the South region meeting in the Elite Eight. I I have Bama. I think just the way that they have responded to the adversity. Uh, this is a team that just has so many different guys that can hurt you. Baylor, I think 
you know, the luck will run out a little bit with their guards. They're so guard oriented, and uh, I think you'll you'll just they'll run out of steam here against an Alabama team that this will be the first time they'll face a tough test. I think in the NCAA tournament that stretch towards the end of the regular season where they faced a lot of tough tests, I think will pay off. So Bama into the Final Four, Duke, Marquette, I think. Duke is, is playing the best basketball, really, of anybody in the country at this point. I think they match up pretty well against Marquette. I know Marquette can score the ball at a really high level, but uh, we were saying this the other day when talking about this team and why they're so scary heading into this tournament. This Duke team can play just about any style at this point. I think Marquette will have tr- uh, trouble uh, taking away both Filipowski and Derek Lively inside. So I have Duke advancing to the Final Four. Uh, in the Midwest, I have Indiana and Texas. Uh, I think this just works out for Texas. I think that offense will continue to stay hot. They'll continue to be able to score the ball. I think Indiana's luck runs out a little bit there. That's where you start to see some of those issues that they've had down the stretch of the season. I think Texas will find a way to take away some of what Trace Jackson Davis can do in that game and will make somebody else have to beat them. I don't think it gets done. I think Texas advances to the Final Four. And then I have Kansas and Gonzaga. I think this might be the best matchup of the Elite Eight. Two teams that I feel like, you know, you could, in years past, this could be a national championship matchup. It would have been in a lot of brackets. But I think Kansas has just enough to emerge in this game. You'll see why Gonzaga is a three seed, why they've had some of the issues they've had this year. I think Kansas has just too much for them in this one. They advance uh, to the Final Four. So now look at my semifinal of Arizona and and Purdue. I think this Purdue team feels a lot like when Villanova got back to the Final Four in 2016, where like if, if, if they break through, their confidence is going to be at an all-time high. And I know they don't have a great perimeter score, and that's what you got to have in this day and age. But when you've got a guy as dominant as Zach Eady is, I think it does make up for the deficiencies that they have in other areas uh, within their within their team and their roster. And they're coming off winning a Big Ten championship. They're as hot as any team right now playing in the country. I think they take down Arizona in what would just be a rock fight of a Final Four to advance to the final game on Monday night. You go over to the other side, you have Houston and UConn. We've seen how hometown teams in their in their backyard have performed in Final Fours in recent past. You go to Butler in 2010, you know, they got to the final Monday. You look at Michigan State in 2009, they got to the final Monday. I think this Houston team does advance to the national title game. I think they take down UConn and it would also be another great defensive matchup setting up a Purdue-Houston final, a game that maybe isn't sexy, but two teams that it's play— It's college basketball. It's sexy. You know, two teams that play and defend at a really high level. The one thing Purdue has that Houston doesn't is a big. And I don't know how Houston's front court can handle Zach Eady. So I think Purdue cuts down the nets, and Matt Panner not only Ooh. makes his first-ever Final Four— but wins his first national championship with the Purdue Boilermakers. Man, you have painted yourself into a corner, if you may. Um, Yeah, I got Alabama-Duke in the first semifinal matchup. I I think Alabama, you talk about a team that just matches up. Duke is a team, they are going to dominate some teams on the glass in this tournament. Not Alabama. Alabama is still the number one team in the country in total rebounds 
and defensive rebounds. This is a great matchup for Bama. They score the ball at a high rate. I don't know how Duke can slow down all of these guys. I have Bama advancing to the final. Then you have Texas and Kansas. I think Kansas gets them back. Bill Self, I believe, will be on the sidelines for this game. I think that the the luck for Texas runs out here in what will be a tremendous matchup between two conference opponents. But I think Jalen Wilson and the Jayhawks are just a little bit too much for them. And then you have the matchup, Alabama and Kansas on the final Monday night. I just think there's too much for Kansas. The experience of being in that NCAA, in that title game a year ago, um, I, like I said, I think this team may be built even a little bit better for this run this year. I think they find a way to get it done over a Bama team, by, 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 which by that point could be a little bit exhausted. And this will also be a Kansas team that I think will be incredibly motivated to prove that they should have been the number one overall seed, not the Alabama Crimson Tide. Well, guys, that is our look at the 2023 NCAA tournament. I've got Purdue winning the national title. Anthony over there does have Kansas going back-to-back for the first time since Florida did it in the mid-2000s. That is going to wrap up, though, our, our, our preview edition and our breakdown of the field. We will be back throughout the tournament, though, talking about what's going on in March Madness. In the meantime, guys, we do encourage you guys to listen to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ from 6A to 6B. All shows will have you covered all things Tournament Talk. Of course, we will have coverage on our airwaves uh, on Wednesday and Thursday evening. And, of course, join the show that I produce, the Wesson Walker Show. We'll be out at the Carolina Ale House from 12 to 3 on Thursday. We hope to see you guys out there. Come by, eat some wings, drink some beers. Concord Mills location. Most importantly, watch some college basketball with us, guys. Um, And, buddy, as we get out of here, just had a lot of fun and ready to celebrate what is the best sports time of the year. Oh, 100%. This tournament is going to be plenty of chaos. I think there's a lot of really good teams, and uh, I fully expect that by the time that we sit down after this first weekend to talk about our brackets and what they look like, they will probably be completely destroyed like in many other years. Well, the madness is here, and and we are ready for it to get underway. Well, guys, this is going to wrap up. Our coverage of the NCAA or, 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 or this, I guess, this breakdown of the NCAA tournament. Once again, we encourage you guys to listen to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We want to thank you guys for listening.